Hello. Welcome to the ninth episode of our podcast. Tales from the Midnight Society. We're going to do things a little bit differently tonight. We're not going to do much of an intro. I mean, nothing's really been going on in either of our lives anyway. No. Um, so instead, to save time, <laughs> we're going to jump right into it because tonight the episode that you're getting is actually going to be a two-part and we're going to try to record both parts tonight depending how long it takes. I mean, every time we say we're going to record two episodes in a row, it we never don't. happens. This is like a continued story, so I'm hoping we can just rock through both. But if not, either way, you're going to get it in two parts. And while I was doing my notes for this, I'm like 12 pages in to the first section of stuff that happens. And I'm, I'm messaging Dimitri and I'm like, this, this fucking thing. Yep. I made a mistake. And <laughs> I was like, I need to abort mission on this story. I made mistakes. Yeah. Um, so I finished and I had like 28 pages of notes and I was like, shit, I was like, Demetria, we have to two part this guy. Yeah, we have a problem. Houston, we have a problem. And like, I calculated it and my longer stories that we've given you guys before have been like eight pages. Yeah. And those are the ones that are like the, the longest stories we've put out and they've only been eight pages. Yeah. So I have 28. Only 20 more. Yeah. Only three times the amount, essentially. But we're going to try to do it in a two-part, but that means that you guys are just going to not get to know about our lives at all. Well, I do want to say one quick thing. We are recording in Ashley's house instead of my house. Usually we record at my place. So if we sound a little different, ignore the audio because you want to listen to the story. I heard it's going to be real good, especially because it's a 28-pager. But if it sounds a little bit different... Just ignore that. It's because we're at Ashley's. It just ended up being better that way. We're not in a room that we've set up for this either. So like it could be a little bit more echoey. We just, we can't do two consecutive stories at Demetria's house because of the cats. They get crazy. Yeah. And there's not really a room in her house that we can go into. No. But I live in like a bigger house. I have tons of extra rooms realistically. So... We're just sitting in a room that has all my wedding decor in it. So <laughs> the sound is probably bouncing off all the wedding decor. Yeah. We try to put a blanket down. Ashley also conveniently had like 400 pillows in here. So hopefully that helps with the sound. But if it doesn't, just bear with us because you love us and you want to hear the story. You'll so. hate the sound as much as my story. <laughs> I hate my is story. Is that a, foreshor a foreshortering? <laughs> a foreshortering. <laughs> a foreshadowing? Yeah. I guess I'll just... We're hopping in. How? Right in the kisser? Um, what? It's <laughs> a bad story. Is this foreshadowing as well? Pow right in the kisser? I mean, actually, probably. Okay. I did want to, quick before I start, yes. last week you told a story with witches and I'd like talked big about doing a witch trial story. Yeah. Canada was nice to witches. Like, not nice. <laughs> okay. We arrested anyone who even like looked like they're performing witchcraft. Like, we still sucked. But we didn't really have witch trials. Like, we didn't have a lot of, like, murders or, like, a bunch of witches put on trial or, like, witch burnings. Yeah. They mostly just went to prison. I mean, that's not great, but it's not horrible either. Yeah. So I couldn't find a really good story for you guys on that, even though I said I was going to. So then I kind of went down the rabbit hole and I was like, I want to get out of our norm. I don't want to do what we normally do and because I, yeah. I was going to do witches and I... <laughs> went really far into the abyss. She went into the internet and she found this. I did. And... I have so many things to say to you guys first. I hate my story. <laughs> I don't think I've ever... What? I don't think I've ever gone on, gone into this not wanting to tell one. 
Like, I, I want to tell it, but I, like, uh, I, like, didn't want to do it anymore, like, halfway through. Not even just because of how long my notes are, but because of the story. Like, it's icky, and it's so much icky, and it's not, like, it's confusing and all messy, and it's just, like, you'll you'll find out, but it's yeah. just... Uh, yeah, she told me that this story is worse than both the pig farmer story, Robert Picton, is that his name? Yeah. And also Paul, Paul Bernardo, like, combined. Oh, it's worse than anything we've told. It's worse than anything we'll ever tell, I promise you. And the only way to make this story good is to inco- incorporate and include all of the yuck. Like, yeah. you can't really take it out because then it... Defeats re- the purpose. Yeah, it removes any part of the story that's actually, like, what you guys are here to hear. Which <laughs> here leads... Yeah, here to hear. <laughs> here to hear. Here, here, here to hear with your ears. Okay, I'm done. Um, so, on that note, I have a story to tell you tonight about a Canadian doomsday cult. Ooh. But I have, like, I have to disclaim, I'm just not really sure how. Because, like, if you're sensitive at all, you should probably turn back now. Yeah. Um, I will just... I'm just going to lay it out for you. My story includes abuse, rape, child molestation, some pretty nasty graphic details with some corpses. Like it, it's cult shit. So it's going to get bad, really bad. Yeah. You can stay. I didn't do all this research for (laughs) not to have listeners, but I just want to like really, really, really say that like I told y'all that, that this was coming. Like don't listen to this while you're at work. God, no. Eating? (laughs) Like, go sit in a room with all the lights on and a blanket, wrap it around yourself, and then we'll we'll get into it. Maybe bring tissues? I don't know. I don't know. I don't think they'll cry. I hope not, but we'll see, I guess. I also, final little tidbit, and then I'll just start. Um, The story starts in Quebec, and there's a lot of French names. And while I try my best to pronounce a French name like I should, and I have tons of French family. That live in Quebec. <laughs> I am so sorry for the butchering that is probably going to take place. Uh, I mean, I can't help you because although I can probably pronounce Italian and Greek names like somewhat well, French is another. See, and I like I grew up going to Quebec to visit my family. I just came back from a wedding there. Like I'm, I'm okay with it, and I like I can pronounce most things. Yeah, but I'm probably gonna butcher it. French is hard sometimes. French is hard. Okay. So, this story that I'm about to tell you is about Roche Theriot. It's my try. It probably doesn't look like that, I'm assuming, in writing, but... And a group later known as the Anthill Kids. All right. I've never heard of this before. Neither had I, but it's huge. And I was super shocked that I didn't know anything about it. I'm just gonna, like, start with him and just, like, build about his life. Like, it's essentially... A story about him. Yeah. Is he the cult leader? Mm-hmm. Okay. But I'm going to start from the beginning. So Roche was born on May 16th, 1947 in Quebec. He was raised in Thetford Mines and he was the second of seven children. Wow. None of the Thario children attended school past the seventh grade, though they had otherwise normal childhoods. Yeah. I was going to say like, it was also like probably the sixties or the seventies. So there was probably 1947. No, but like... Oh, by the time they were in seventh grade, yeah. Yeah, so it's probably not super abnormal for for kids not to happen. Yeah. Well, the school in Thetford didn't go past seventh grade. You had to leave the town to go past the seventh grade, and they just didn't. Yeah, so I guess that was the norm then. Yeah. On November 11th, 1967, 
when he was 20. Yep. He married Francine Grenier and moved to Montreal. Yeah. Also, my page turning. I'm so sorry, guys. I'm 80 <laughs> years old in newspaper. Well, at least, like, they know when I'm turning the page. Yeah. Over the next three years, they had two sons, Roche Jr. Of course. You know what? I feel like anytime someone has a junior, there's going to be shit that happens. Like, people that have children that name their children after themselves. Love themselves too much. Yeah, there's a problem, and it's going to lead to some other shit. And their second son's name was Francois. Yeah. After Francine? His wifey, or just because? Is that his wife's name? Francine? Oh, it totally is. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Fuck. Here we go. (laughs) Ashley doesn't even remember two seconds ago in her notes. Yeah. They obviously named their kids after themselves. Yes. Wow. Okay, we got that double double dose of the juniors. I legitimately was like, is that his wife's name? Yep. I mean, you have 28 pages of notes. You can't remember every single detail. And there's a lot of names in this story. Oh, God. Because, like, all the followers and stuff. So, I don't know. And his wife is, like, the least important person in the entire story. So, like, no offense, ma'am. Sorry, Francine. Okay. During their time in Montreal, Roche developed stomach ulcers which needed surgery and would later have more complications. This led him to become fascinated by medicine and anatomy. That plays an important part later on. Okay. Irritable and unhappy, Roche moved his family back to Thetford and started a woodworking business. He also took to drinking heavily. Oh. To deal with the pain of, like, the complications from the surgery. But if he has an ulcer, isn't Well, he doesn't anymore. Like, he had surgery for his stomach ulcers, and it's more complications in the surgery that's causing the pain. Oh. Yeah. like... Alcoholism is probably not a great idea no. overall, health-wise and... It's the 50s. <laughs> I was going to say socially, probably not, but whatever. Um, on weekends, Roche took his business to Quebec City, where he would have several affairs. Oh. Yeah. We're jumping in. Yeah. Since all of his money was going to travel and drinking, their house was condemned, and Francine took her boys and left him. So all he's, he's doing is essentially fucking and drinking. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like a life I get. Like he's selling his woodworking, but then just using it to like fucking drink more. Oh God. So after she left him, Roche moved to Quebec City to live with his latest affair, Giselle. Okay. He's like, you're my new wifey now. I got to live somewhere. Yep. In Quebec City, Roche discovered the Seventh-day Adventist Church, ministered by a man named Pierre Zita. No comment. (laughs) Yeah. I was going to say like, this is this is a really heavy subject. I mean, we're getting into a heavy story, so I guess this is a perfect time to bring it up. But I'm not a particularly religious person. No. And, like, cult and religion, although sometimes are not one and the same, can also sometimes be Typically one and the, the same. same. So it's kind of scary when you hear, like, a very... Cult. This is a cult story. He joins religion. Yeah. Yeah. The weird part about him choosing to join the Seventh-day Adventist church, I didn't really include this in my notes because it's not super important, but his dad was a Catholic traveling literature salesman when he was young, and it made him hate organized religion because, what? yeah, he taught, like, it, they talk about it briefly, but it just, it's not important, it never comes up again. But wh- when he was younger, he blamed organized religion on his lack of attention from his father. Oh. But then is, it, is this religion not organized? Sure is. Okay, well... Okay. Yeah. That doesn't make sense. Yeah. Roche, what are you doing? I think it was like he was an adult now and not a child blaming the church. And it's why uh, I kind of didn't include it because it was just like a little kid having a fit. Yeah. It wasn't like anything anything substantial. But I thought I would say it now because talking casually with you, I'm like, hey, fun fact. He became obsessed. He quit drinking to focus on the church and their strict dietary res- like restrictions, yeah. which includes healthy, holistic, no alcohol. <laughs> 
was probably a problem for him. Well, he quit drinking. He focused his studies on the Old Testament, the strict codes of male authority, and the apocalypse. He was drawn to the talk of violent retribution for our sins. Oh, God. This guy is like textbook serial killer. I don't know if he becomes a serial killer as part of the cult leader. Because in all the cult information that I have, I feel like the cult leader is always the one that never actually goes through the acts. They just like instruct other people to. But he is checking all the boxes, which is what right. I'm trying to say. Um, to make money, Zeta, uh, the minister, mm-hmm. hires him to do door-to-door literature sales, much okay. like his father. Oh. Um, pleased with Roche's results. I should call him Roche. <laughs> I need to start over. Pleased with Roche's. Okay. Pleased with Roche's results, Zeta rewarded him with his own workshops for the church. So he would do, like, quit smoking workshops. Quit drinking workshops. Quit drinking workshops, like how to get into the religion workshops. By 1977, Roche had gained a number of followers. Okay. I have a list. Oh. These become important. So. Interesting. Solange Bulliard, she was 21. Oh, young females. Yeah, wonderful. so he would have been like 30 at the time. Yeah. Is it 30, right? 47? 40 almost. No, no 30. 30. Yeah. So Solange Bulliard, 21. Chantal Labrie, 21. Francine Laflemme, 18. <laughs> what? Just all young females. That's... Nicole Ruel, 20. Maryse, they kept her last name out of the papers, so I couldn't find her last name, but yeah. 18. Jose Pelletier, 20. Jacques Fissette, 22. A boy. Yeah, finally. Claude Ouellette, 24. Oh boy. <laughs> and Jacques Gigeri and his wife Maurice and their six month old baby girl. Oh God. I understand he's not that old. He's only 30, but also every single person is in their twenties and young. Impressionable. Yeah. yeah, I was gonna say, like before the part of their brain has developed that makes rational decisions. So Yeah. Fully believing in Roche and his doomsday talks, many of his followers were convinced to drop out of college and and give up their lives to join him. Oh, wonderful. They all lived together in Giselle's apartment. I'm assuming it was like a one bedroom. Yep. And, and they were just... like, it said I, it said that they were sleeping on floors and like on couches and in bathtubs. And you have to think about this. Like the one of them has a, a baby. Yeah. And they brought their baby to live in this apartment. <sighs> Later in 1977, at an Adventist retreat in Muskoka, Ontario, Gabrielle Lavelle and Yolanda Guinanbert joined his group. Cool. More young females, I'm assuming. Yeah, they were in their 20s as well. Yep. Um, Roche decided it was time to expand. He moved his group to Saint Marie, 65 kilometers from Quebec City, and they opened a healthy living clinic. They offered alternative medicine, organic food, and holistic literature in the ways of the Adventist church. I mean, that doesn't sound so bad, but I'm assuming more is to come. Typically. Oh, well, you're going to find out. <laughs> Everybody's <laughs> drinking the Kool-Aid. Local. Oh, my God. Don't make that. <laughs> that comes into play in this story. Oh, God. Because oh. that happens around the same time. Yep. As this. Yep. So things, people being scared of that happening affects what happens. To, I'm just going to stop. But that that statement and reference to Jonestown. <laughs> I was going to say, I couldn't remember what it was called, but I was yeah. like, the Kool-Aid man, the Kool-Aid. Yep. Locals were impressed. Leo Marc Fauchier sold everything he had to move to the clinic with his wife and child. 
Giselle became jealous of the women's attention toward Roche and proposed to him. They married on January 8th, 1978 in Montreal. So Giselle was his affair lady that he originally moved in with. Incorrect. Yeah. 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 So she was jealous because all these young girls are like (laughs) swooning over him. Yeah. So she proposed to him and they got married. Okay. Obviously he loved her, I'm assuming. Yeah. (laughs) Ashley's face. You should have just seen it. Okay. Continue your story. The Adventists became uncomfortable with their situation and contacted several of the girls' families as well as the police. So they were just uncomfortable that he'd moved all these young girls to this place with him. Wait, people in the, the church? The Adventists. Yes. Yes. I don't... Sorry, yeah. The church became uncomfortable with the situation at the clinic yeah. and how all these young girls had just like abandoned their families. I mean, they're not wrong. Yeah, so they contacted the girls' families and the police. The police came, everybody refused to speak, and if they were asked, they just told them to speak to Roche, who said everything was fine. Of course. So the cops just well, went on their merry way. They're all adults as well, so it's not like yeah. they their parents could be like, oh, they're minors, so we're going to take them. Except for, obviously, the children, but those children had their parents involved with them. With yeah. them. Yep. Um, in March 1978, Geraldine Gagné-Eclair was admitted to their clinic. She had been on the path to recovery, receiving treatments in Quebec City for leukemia, but her husband, who'd heard Roche's preachings, was won over by his alternative medicine and admitted her to the clinic. Oh, God. Now you've got a cancer patient, a recovering cancer Roche, survivor? Yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to talk over you. That's okay. Roche began treatment of the 38-year-old cancer patient with organic foods, and she died in the clinic. Oh, okay. That's because she's not doing chemo. Yep. I mean... They stopped all of her treatments immediately without any wind down. And then was just like, here, have some organic food. So she died. Oh, God. But Roche told her family it was God's will. Of course, because it's not his stupidity that caused it. It's God who wanted it. Yep. Later that month, Gabrielle Nadeo's parents placed the 19-year-old multiple sclerosis patient under the care of the clinic. Cool. Yep. Sounds Sounds like a great idea. I just don't, I just don't get, like, he's not a doctor. He yeah. doesn't even have schooling past grade fucking seven. I know. And people are just like, this guy's nice. Yeah. Let's give him our sick people. He probably had something about him, like, I'm assuming he was charismatic. Uh, everything I ever read of anybody who's ever talked to this man was like, he's charming. Like, yeah. it's gonna come out later just how fucking charming this man is. But, like, he's charming. Yeah, it reminds me of whatever the guy is from Jonestown or even like someone like Ted Bundy like just has that personality that draws people in and then they can do whatever they want yeah yeah so in April 1978 Pierre Zita removed Roche and his group from the church so uh, up until this time they were hiding behind the Adventist not hiding but they were everything they're doing was in the name of the Adventist church that they were a part of and this church was their backing and Pierre was like nope someone has died yeah nope well at that point how can he continue to agree yeah with what they're doing yeah so that spring Giselle announced that she was pregnant and wanted Roche to leave the commune oh I did say that super French <laughs> you did. the commune <laughs> actually just turning into a French person because of the story the commune I, like I focus I focus so hard on saying his name French that <laughs> other words are coming out in in a weird accent. He responded by punching her in the mouth and locking her up for two days. Excuse me? 
You said that while still laughing from your previous statement, so it didn't click exactly yeah. what you said until so sorry. after. She was pregnant, wanted him to leave their healthy living clinic, and he was like, nah, bitch, punched her in the mouth and locked her up for two days while pregnant. What did you say at the beginning of this episode? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. Everything is coming together quickly. Um, In June 1978, police had started to investigate them for the death of the leukemia patient, so Roche had everyone pack up and leave. Of course. They traveled from place to place until July when Roche claims to have had a vision of the future from God himself. The world is going to end on February 17th, 1979. So a little under a year. Yeah. There would be a storm of hail, earthquakes, and lightning, but God had chosen him to save them. Oh my God. I just like, this is just so textbook. And I know at this point, people didn't understand that this was so textbook. But hearing the story, I'm like, fucking run. Like, leave. No, like, God had chosen him to save them. No! Demetria. God hasn't chosen well, except maybe for Jesus. Yeah. He's the only one who could hold that title. So, Jesus. having heard that, on blind faith, they hiked with him into the woods for two days until they found an isolated hill beside a small body of water outside St. Jokes, Quebec. He named the camp the Eternal Mountain. Of course. Wow. I literally could, like, you could not tell me the details of the story, and I could probably guess all of them. Oh, no, you could not. Until this point, at least. Yeah. It's very Jonestown. They, oh, yeah. They began, and the worst part is these are happening at the same time. Yeah. Jonestown and this. I wonder if they ever cross paths. Like, this guy. And he the follows leader, them. Does like, he? Like, he, like, pays attention to, like, the Jonestown preacher and, like, the stuff around that. It says it that he'd been following it later, but, like, they're not connected. They had no correlation. He had just heard about it and followed the story, essentially. He was just inspired. He was like, well, no, this is, it. when Jonestown happens, they're already settled and shit's already happening. Oh, okay. I'm just saying that he hears the story and he's like, that sounds familiar. <laughs> so they began construction on a large communal cabin. They worked 17 hours a day while Roche watched. Oh, of course. He claimed that his stomach pain forbid him from, like, didn't allow him to do any of the work. Of course not. The labor caused Yolande, Leo Mark Fotcher, and his family to leave. So Yolande was one of the girls who joined in Muskoka. Yeah. And then Mark, Leo Mark Fotcher and his family was the ones that sold their stuff to join when they were the clinic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Roche let them go so that he could use them leaving to preach about how God had decided they were not chosen. Oh, so he would be like, oh, I knew this was going to happen. Yes. So he used it as like a lesson. Yeah. God told me. Yeah. <laughs> I hate it. So they finished in September. The cabin was a single open room with meter high partitions and bed sheets hung as curtains to make bedrooms. I mean, it's better than one open room, I guess. Meter high isn't that high. No. But... Um, in celebration, <laughs> I can't even read this line, guys. In celebration of their new home, he named himself Moses. Oh my! It just gets worse every second. It just gets. So much. The story is just like shit on top of shit. Yeah. Oh, God. You don't even know. <laughs> she just held up her second notebook that she had to use for the story, by the way, and just threatened me with it, being like, you don't even know. So the group applied for welfare individually and used their combined funds to have a monthly budget of $1,400. Was that a lot in 1970? I know. I was like, that's not a lot of money. But assumingly, it probably was back then. Yeah. And like, also... 
That's probably all they could get from welfare. And also, they're living in a cabin, so who cares? Yeah, like, what do they really need? <laughs> um, in October, six-month pregnant Giselle learned that Roche had been sleeping with the other women of the commune from Nicole, who had been sleeping with him herself. So Nicole essentially went to Giselle and confessed that she'd been sleeping with him, and then upon further investigation found out that he'd been sleeping with essentially everyone. Of course, because he's God and Moses, and he can do whatever he wants, and he can sleep with whoever he wants, and no one can stop him because he's a cult leader that's going to do whatever he wants. Yeah. So once the secret was out, Roche began referring to the women as his wives. Hmm. The only one who was not his wife was the already married Mercy. She's like, I'm already taken. Because she's the one who came in with Jacques and their baby. Yes. Yeah. I'm surprised he was like, that's okay. You can be married to me too. No. He keeps, he lets her be separate for basically ever. Oh, so he has morals. <laughs> to an extent. <laughs> On November 18th, 1978, when the Jonestown massacre happened, doomsday cults became a fear and the families of his followers got the police involved again. They came to the cabin and Roche decided to go with the police willingly. Oh. To undergo a psychological evaluation. I mean, it's about time. They deemed him delusional, <laughs> but couldn't prove his delusions were dangerous, so they let him go. He thinks he's God, though. But it's not dangerous. Like, it's not hurting anybody at this point that they know. You tell it to the cancer survivor. That's all I gotta say. Yeah. So, low on groceries <laughs> and wanting... Let's see, he gets back. Low on groceries and wanting to drink again. Roche prostituted Gabrielle Lavelle, so not the MS one, the other Gabrielle, because there's two. Yep. To local merchants for goods. Oh, wonderful. This is why. Like randomly, you just like you just need to have sex with random. Well, they didn't have they didn't have groceries. And I'm assuming their money was going to like actual food, but he wants to drink, so he needs alcohol. So he's prostituting her to alcohol merchants essentially for booze. Yeah. Yeah. I would like to know how he swung that to her and she was like, okay. Because Oh, he swings a lot of things that everyone's just okay with. Wonderful. Um, he began to drink heavily again, and the punishments began. The punishments? He broke Maricy's, that's the one who's not his wife, yeah. ribs, <laughs> the for, only one. ribs for eating two extra pancakes because she was pregnant. He would force those who annoyed him to strip naked and stand in the snow for a few hours. Oh, my God. Yeah. Jack Fissette left because of this. Yeah. But no one else objected. They felt speaking up would be speaking against God himself. Mayor C talked about leaving and Roche instructed her husband Jacques to cut off one of her toes with an axe. He cried, but ultimately listened. Impressed, Roche promoted Jacques to be his main enforcer. His wife's, his pregnant wife's toe. Okay. Cool. Great. The fact that this is your reaction already makes me super excited for the rest of the story. Oh, cool. Um, oh, cool. <laughs> I don't know. I was going to say, okay, cool. And then it turned into one word. Oh, cool. Oh, cool. February 17th, the proposed end of the world came and went. The world was fine. Of course. No one left because, of course, Roche had saved them and promised it would still happen someday, but that God wasn't able to predict when the sins would overcome the world. Of course, because he is God and he gets to choose when the world ends. Yep, so they stayed. So a month later, an article is released that includes interviews with Jacques Fissette, the one who left, yep. about the commune and Roche's leadership methods. I can only imagine. Police descended on the internal mountain via helicopter <laughs> and they ordered another psychological evaluation of Roche. Please tell me this one actually worked and stuck. 
Roche's charismatic personality won over the doctors. They began calling him Moses and cursing the media for portraying him negatively. The media redacted their article onward from the hospital and began calling him a misunderstood and gentle mountain man. Are you fucking joking me? Charisma, man. Apparently it pays the bills. Oh my, it literally like makes it so you could do whatever the fuck you want. Like he manipulated doctors at a psychological evaluation to the point where they were calling him Moses. Are you joking me? Yeah, I just said that. Did you not hear that? I don't know, but like, that is so absurd. Like, you're, you're, though, these are like, I'm assuming like psychologists. Yeah. Like professionally trained yeah. doctors that have studied the art of being yeah. manipulative. Oh, this isn't the only time he's going to do this. Oh, okay. I'm well, sorry, man. This keep guy is fucking farting out charisma. <laughs> he's like literally shit. He's vomited. Yeah. So, shortly after Roche's return home, Gabrielle Nadeau, the MS fighter yep. fell into a coma and died. Of course. There's actually no reports of anything bad ever happening to her. Oh, maybe it was just caused by her MS then. Yeah. <laughs> to everybody's surprise. Yeah. In November 1980, the commune had its first new member in years as Guy Veer joined in hopes that Roche could help his depression. They had met when Roche was at the hospital. On March 23rd, Roche's two sons from his first marriage, Roche Jr. and Francois, now 12 and 10, joined the commune and brought Roche's children total to five, having a child by Giselle, a child by Solange, and a child by Nicole. Excuse me? Yeah. So now he's having babies with all his wives. Yeah. Francine! Yeah, I have no idea. <laughs> I tried to find why the kids got sent to him. Yeah. But, like, I could not. She was like, I don't want them anymore. You can fuck them up. Yeah. Oh, and does he? <laughs> oh. Um, that night, they partied in celebration of the son's coming. Yep. And Guy Veer was tasked with watching the children. Okay, he's a babysitter. Yes. Samuel, Marcy, and Jock's youngest of their two children was crying that night. Veer... Unable to sleep, lost his temper, and beat the screaming two-year-old. Oh, wonderful. So, Because they're all in the same room. They just have sheets in between. Yeah. Well, no, he's watching them. Oh. This is the night of the party. He's watching all the kids that aren't Roche's kids. Yeah. Because he wasn't allowed to watch Roche's kids. They're at the party. Yeah. He's watching all the other kids. And Samuel is crying. And Veer is trying to sleep. And he beats the kid to shut up. Great babysitter we have here. Yeah. The next day, Gabrielle Lavelle, who acted as commune nurse, was brought the boy for the injuries and a swollen penis was discovered, which was likely the cause of his crying. Oh, I thought you were going to go other places. No, that. they believe that like something was like wrong and that's why he was crying in the middle of the night. Mm-hmm. Roche took scissors and lanced his penis. Lanced? Snip, snip. Like castrated him? Well, castrated his balls. Or oh, castrated right. dick. Either way, he chopped his penis off. Cool. The next morning, Samuel died. The cause was unknown. Oh, I wonder what it was. Yeah. Marcy and Jacques just went back to their lives with their other child. Excuse me. Their child literally died, had his penis cut off. But God God did it. It was God's will. So they're okay. Cool. Yeah. Six months later, a drunk Roche decides Veer should stand trial for what had happened to Samuel. Yep. Blaming the death on the beating. Um, he held a vote to castrate Veer, and it was voted strongly in favor. Roche told Veer this would cure his headaches and depression, and Veer agreed. So he was castrated. 
your penis is not connected. Oh my god, I literally don't understand. On November 5th, Veer fled to the nearest town and told locals of Samuel's death. Okay. Wait. What? Did he get his penis chopped off? Yeah, they said Veer was castrated. Okay, so he was... He was castrated and then was like, fuck this, I am not... Well, this is months later, right? Because this was back in... No, so it would have been in September they castrated him. Yeah. And then in November, he was like, shit was fucked up. I'm going to leave. Oh, I'm... Yeah. Yeah. I don't know why I keep making these noises where I'm just like, I can't talk. I don't know what to say. And this was me my entire time writing these notes. I'm literally baffled and speechless. So the police raided the compound and arrested Samuel's parents and Roche. The seven other children were also taken into foster care. Okay. The coroner determined the group criminally responsible for the death of Samuel. I mean, they cut his pee-pee off. Yeah. Roche, Jacques, Maurice, Gabrielle, and Guy were all charged with criminal negligence. That's it? Yeah. The others were charged with obstruction of justice and child neglect. Everybody pleaded not guilty. Of course. Many of the followers were released with probation as long as they did not return to the commune. Jacques... Jacques and Claude were sentenced to six months in prison. Roche was sentenced to two years in prison and three years probation. That's it. Yeah. Literally. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. So he went to his two years in prison and many of the followers moved into various apartments near the prison and waited. During the time that he was in prison, they many, most of them got their kids back. Jacques and Claude would have been released from jail from their six month sentence. And they all just kind of hung out and waited. But they weren't supposed to be a part of the commune anymore. That's what the they judge weren't. ordered. They were in various apartments. Oh, you, but they, they were literally waiting for him to get out of prison. It's obvious. Yeah. Oh, my God. Like, these yeah. people needed, they, they need to go. Yeah. So, that is the end of part one. Wait, you just closed your notebook. Because that's the end of part one. It's the end of part one? Yeah. That's it? Yeah. That's all? That's all. So Roche is in jail. Everyone else is waiting. Yeah. To rejoin the commune despite judge's orders. And like the thing about it is they got their kids back and they got reduced sentences on the agreement that that shit was done. Yeah. And they're all like, nah, B, you don't tell me what to do with my God. (laughs) Yeah. They're like, but Moses, man, Moses. Yeah. So... That's that. Stay tuned next week to find out uh, what happens when Roche gets out of jail. Oh my god, spoilers. Jesus. Well, obviously he's (laughs) gonna get out of jail or there wouldn't be a part two. She literally just picked up that notebook I was referencing earlier and is now waving it around and this is the gross notebook. It is the gross. It's red. Red (laughs) for gross. (laughs) For gross. Red for stop. So this week, obviously, we're releasing this episode. Next week, we're releasing part two. So you just have to stick around to figure out what's happening. Because my understanding is it gets really bad from It gets here. worse. It only gets worse from here. Oh, God. My thing to you folks <laughs> is a little game. Oh. I don't want Googles. If anyone Googles it, I'm going to be angry and I'm going to know. But, like, what do you guys think happens next? Yeah. Please don't Google. Don't cheat. Cheating is lame. But, like, put your best guesses in our dms on instagram tales from yeah. the midnight society tales from the midnight society at gmail.com email me your guesses and the person who emails in closest without it being obvious 
that you googled it. That you googled it. We'll, we'll shout out. Yeah, we'll shout you out. We'll throw your name out on our next episode, and we'll uh, make a big deal about how awesome you are. Exactly, and we'll probably give you a feature on on the Insta. Yeah. So an Insta feature. If you're a dedicated fan, come on, have a guess. Yeah. And like, not just like they get back together. Like, I want like details. I want what you think happens. I mean. I made a comment how all of the things that they've done so far are very textbook. Yeah. So are they going to continue to do, do are they going to continue to do textbook type things? You're or is it just going to spiral? I guess we're going to have to find out and yeah. you're going to have to find out next week. Tune in next time. All right. Well, that's, that's a wrap. We're going to keep recording, but yep. y'all have a good, good rest of your week. Yep. And we'll see you next week. Don't forget to submit. Good night, Irene.